Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Ordinary People, starring Donald Sutherland, Mary Tyler Moore, Judd Hirsch, and Timothy Hutton. Based on the book by Judith Guest, screenplay by Alvin Sargent, and directed by Robert Redford. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. We have jumped from 1950 into 1980, 30 years later. <laughs> Get in the time machine, the way back machine. Yeah. And here we are, the year 1980, the Academy Awards of the year 80. And we have a lot to talk about with what won, what didn't win. Um, and here we're talking with the Best Picture winner from 1980, Ordinary People, the directorial debut of Mr. Robert Redford, who we've never talked about on this podcast before. Yeah, that's pretty surprising. Yeah. I mean, we haven't really done a lot of like the sting or, you know, Butch Cassidy or any any of those, you know, read for any of his like political thrillers, but his directorial debut, it, was, it went all the way across the finish line. It took home the top prize. <laughs> big movie in 1980. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. And I think there was a space for this film in 1980. Like if you go back and just look at like the seventies and the eighties, man, there was this type of film coming out all the time. Right. Yeah. Just like, man, people just loved like heavy drama. It's and, reflective of the time. Sure. Yeah. So, I think that's a, well, I lived through that. Yeah. It's young, but 80 through like 82 are just brutal with the exception of the miracle on ice. Things just suck. Yeah. And art reflects society and art mm-hmm. reflects values. So there's that. You know, so th- I think this is interesting for us too. Cause like, you know, we usually typically lean into more genre pieces, mm-hmm. whether it's sci-fi or horror or noir or, you know, you know, anything kind of, in that Western, we don't really ever do like drama, drama, right? No. So this is different for us. So this will be fun to talk about. Yeah, this is not the one that you hear often on this show. Maybe yeah. never. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to do a couple things because, you know, we ended last week and, you know, I said I was going to look some stuff up and then I just never did. Okay. <laughs> so just a couple just additions to last week's episode. I mentioned the five came back, the directors that went to film World War II footage, and I couldn't remember two of them, uh, but it was... Uh, John Ford, William Wyler, Frank Capra, John Houston, and George Stevens. Yeah. Stevens was the other one I couldn't remember. Place in the Sun. Yeah, there you go. And you know what was really cool about, you know, the documentary that's on Netflix is, you know, these guys, they made films before they went and did their service and filmed all this crazy photography. Uh, and then they came back and kind of made the best films of their lives, right? Like It's mm-hmm. a Wonderful Life, Treasured Sierra Madre, A Place in the Sun. Mm-hmm. It had a profound impact on the way they made movies after World War II, right? Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to clear up is the Best Actress winner of 1950. I was just like, oh, who's that, that woman from yeah. uh, Born Yesterday? Judy Holiday from Born Yesterday beat out Betty Davis, uh, Ann Baxter, and uh, Gloria Swanson. I think we were in agreement that Swanson should have taken that one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but let's see what things <laughs> we'll say we'll look up and then we won't for this episode. Uh, since we're in the 80s, New Bottle, uh, let's jumpstart us uh, on something new. This is Evan Williams' Bottled and Bond. Uh, we've done one other Bottled and Bond um, bottle before. Old Forester. I think Old Forester, yeah. And it was when we did, and I remember this specifically because I thought it was awesome. It was when we did Escape from New York because you're like, it's the bourbon Snake Plissken would drink. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you would drink Bottled and Bond bourbon. But uh, just real quickly, uh, so Bottled and Bond, 
uh, is earned only by meeting strict government standards passed in 1987. It has to be 100 proof, aged at least four years, and distilled at a single distillery within a single distillation season. So a lot of caveats to get that moniker, right? Yeah. So cheers to you. Cheers to you. Let's dive in. I get vanilla. I get vanilla. Yeah, a little vanilla. It's a little sweet, even though mm-hmm. it is slightly harsh, right? And I think that's that 100 proof that's talking back to us. You know what I get in there? It's a little nut. I don't know if that's almond or maybe pecan, mm. but there's a little nut in there for me. Just inhale your <laughs> bourbon aromas, right? Mm. Want to guess the price on that? Mm, $39.99. More? $23. Nice. Yeah. That's a really good bottle. So back to back weeks, I think we've been under 25. So I've been really trying to find like bargain ish bottles that still have enough taste that aren't just complete. They're old fire. Grand, old granddad, right? <laughs> right. Or a uh, fireball, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's not bad. So bottled and bond, James Bond. Good. To that. Well, to that, let's well get started with our flight question. like you're walking me down the aisle matt <laughs> yes uh, yeah canon uh it was just it was one of the great things in the research of this film was that that was kind of like an obscure kind of lost piece of music that regained popularity due to this film so people started using it at weddings and funerals and just whatever at that point do you remember the ge soft white light commercial where mm. the mom and the daughter I, are being I've painted seen, i've seen that yeah that's that yeah mm-hmm. yeah so this film kind of helped Bring it back into the spotlight. Good choice. My flight question to you this week, Mr. Robert Redford, uh, the the man uh, of the hour. Uh, this is his directorial debut, but obviously had a very uh, you know substantial career in acting prior to even getting this. And the one thing I always know about Robert Redford is just every the way everyone describes him, just it was a good looking man, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he was in the running or in consideration or a name tossed about for Donner's Superman. And just no one could believe like that guy putting on the tights, right? No, it no was way. just it was just almost too good looking. Right? Right. Just and that look and that jaw and his blonde wavy locks, right? Yeah. But surfboard. He's not the only actor that's you know dipped a toe into directing. And actually, when you look into it, there's a lot of people that have dipped their toe into directing after starting out as actors. So yeah, my question to you: your top three favorite films by actors turned directors. Number three, mm. Cinderella Man, Ron Howard. Mm. Uh, there's a lot that you could choose from Ron Howard. Um, I think that's a great movie. Uh, maybe I'm in a boxing space. We did burn through Creed 1 and 2 this week just because we didn't have much to watch because there's nothing at the theater since we talked about off mic. Yeah. Uh, I think that's period solid. I think that's tolerable Renee Zellweger, which these <laughs> days might be hard to find. <laughs> Boy, that's kind of a mess, right? And... Also, to be frank, that's honorable Russell Crowe. Yeah. Um, I say honorable. Mm-hmm. Sure, he can be honorable. Uh, what's not to like about that story? 
it's a good depiction of a hard, hard time that they're able to pull off in an entertaining way with historical relevance in a really, really excellently choreographed film. And I think as much as dance gets credit for choreography, Mm -hmm. boxing and anything with John Wick also deserves a nod. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to stage and choreograph where you're going to take a punch, right? Yeah. I've never seen it. Oh, my gosh, really? Never seen Cinderella Man, yeah. You have to save it because that might be a raw watch for Ryan something. For sure, yeah. Oh, we talked about, you know, doing like a whole sports thing, Mm -hmm. which kind of... Uh, shit canned at the end of last year because we got sick <laughs> but uh no that would be great i'd love to do that it's a great film you'd like it i think i'd consider ron howard as well I, i'm really big on apollo 13 i also really like backdraft uh yeah so uh uh great choice great Thank choice you. there all right number three for you my number three director is ben stiller the film is tropic thunder mm-hmm. uh how could it not be yeah uh I would love to do that episode one day, but just it would just be such a wild time because mm-hmm. it's just it it feels even though it was two thousand eight, which isn't that long ago, it definitely feels like a film that just could not be made today, right? Um, it's too politically incorrect for even the era it came out in. Like I remember specifically, just people like not laughing in that movie just because they either didn't get it or it was just too offensive for them. And I'm over there just kicking a bucket, man. I'm just like knee slapping like there's no tomorrow. It's so clever. It's such a great satire on Hollywood, on actors, on acting culture, on filmmaking, on location. Uh, Downey Jr.'s great. Ben Stiller's great. Danny McBride's amazing. Uh, McConaughey. And Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. I want fat hands and I want to dance is what he said to be involved in that. Yeah. Les Grossman. So that's my number three. Excellent choice. And, you know, I don't think, you know, Ben Stiller's a, a pretty interesting actor. I like a lot of, I like Dodgeball and so a lot of films that he's in, Meet the Parents. But, you know, I wouldn't consider him, like, filmmaker first, right? But he was somehow able to wrangle all those actors and egos and just made it work. And wrote the screenplay, too, with uh, Justin uh, Thoreau. Good job. Yeah. Ben Stiller. I don't think we've done a Ben Stiller film either as mm-hmm. actor or direct, nothing. we got to do Dodgeball. We do have to judge ball. Could put that in a sports cast. There you go. The Ocho. <laughs> the Ocho. Number two for me, you just mentioned it. It is another Ron Howard film. I'm going to go with Backdraft. Nice. Uh, Donald Sutherland, the titular character yeah. from today's film, yeah. as a villain, uh, which is a questionable role at first sight because I think Donald Sutherland really does play every man dad well mm-hmm. in a heroic element. Yeah. Not in that film. Uh, yeah, he's like the crazy arsonist that they go like try to glean information from. The Dexter of the arson world. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, what's not to like about that film? Talk about a spectacle and using fire certainly is risky. Mm-hmm. As best I can tell, everybody came out mostly okay in mm-hmm. the filming of that. Nobody yeah. died, so yeah. it wasn't Twilight. Yeah, and uh, I just think that's a really, really entertaining movie. Oh, I do too. And honestly. I think it's tough because I, if I look at all the other fire elements in media that have been done, they all suck. Yeah. Like, what's that terrible, shitty one on CBS where they're prisoners in jail and they're trying to be firefighters to chain gang their way out of fire? I don't know which one that is. That's on right now. NBC just, has Chicago FD or yeah. Chicago Fire. 
Yeah. Um, no, I'm with you. I think it's hard to do a good firefighting story. Even Ladder 49 with Joaquin Phoenix and Travolta's a little schlocky. What's the one that they tried to launch Howie Long's career with? Oh, Firestorm. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know which one was good? I, I'll, I'll walk that back a little bit. I did like that Only the Brave with Josh Brolin and Miles Teller. Did you? Okay. With the, the forest uh, fires. Speaking of Firestorm. But I love Backdraft. You know, yeah. two of my uncles were firefighters. So, you know... You know, a lot of the stuff, you know, that the, the way that they go about isn't like the most accurate way that they go about the job. But man, Kurt Russell's amazing in that. Robert De Niro's in that. Jennifer Jason Lee, Scott Glenn. Dude, get out of here. That movie's great. Great cast. Yeah. Good. Number two for me, Backdraft. Your number two. My number two. Hang on. I got to go to my your list. My charts. Uh, Mr. George Clooney. The film is The Ides of March. Yeah. Uh, uh, I really love this film in a space where we could do like a political thriller cask. I would love to slide this one in there because I don't hear anyone talk about it. I don't know a lot of people that have seen it, but talk about the cat Gosling, Clooney, Paul Giamatti, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Marissa Tomei, Jeffrey Wright. Uh, it's stacked. Evan Rachel Wood. Yeah. It's a really good movie and it's so twisted and it's just so backstabbing. And every time I'm watching it, I'm like, man, this is just, this is just politics, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's Clooney directing and starring. He's not the lead, but he's got a very substantial supporting piece in there. I think he handles it really well uh, as director. Adapted from the stage play, but written as a screenplay by, yes. I want to say Sorkin, but it's not Sorkin. It's somebody big though. I think it was him and Grant Hesloff. They both wrote it together? Yeah, yeah. That's a great movie, Jesse. Good mm -hmm. choice. Mm -hmm. I love that film. There's so many little great moments, and it just also shows you why Philip Seymour Hoffman was the amazing actor that he was. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Ides of March, my number two. Good choice. When's the last time he made a movie? Wasn't that was that Company Man Mun where they were stealing art? I think that might be. Oh it. man, that was a snooze fest. Oh god, that could have been so good. Yeah, stealing art from the Nazis. Yep, during World War II. How the hell does that end up boring? Maybe that's what did him in. Yeah, Whew. yeah, that that was that was a bummer. I mean, that is. That sells on high concept idea alone. Yeah. Did you know there are a group of rebels mm -hmm. that were given the task of saving valuable pieces of art from the Nazis in the middle of World War II? I want to make that movie. I don't want to make that movie that showed up on the screen, though. Yeah. Oh, and especially if Clooney's delivering the pitch. Yeah, we'll make it. You want to be in it? And you get Matt Damon? Yeah. We're going to talk about that today. And the reason I'm bringing this up is I'm really curious about discussions that move something to greenlit status, okay. which is going to get into... Yeah the you know story today but my number one is argo nice uh from a guy who's had more resurrections than christ on easter yeah that's ben affleck uh i think he's kind of shit canned again right now yeah he's kind of been like uh so all the batman stuff ended in his last movie that they live by they they live by night or i think the way back that basketball coach film oh he directed that uh, if he's in it though okay maybe he did direct it too that's a it, solid film, man. It was that gang. Do you mean did you you know what I'm talking about? That gangster film. Yeah, yeah they yeah, live by that, night. That was terrible. Terrible. Yeah. Compared to Argo and, Ar Eve, and the town. Argo isn't terrible. Argo's really, really good. And uh, I think that's deserving. And that could go into a category on best and Oscar stuff too. Mm -hmm. uh, we won't be doing that, but um I think that's a relevant story. I think that there's some ties to Star Wars, gives it a piece of nostalgia that's also equally important. And I think that's pretty high stakes uh, for as hateable as Hollywood is. And as often as the stories about them embolden what you and I think is the worst vainglorious mirror reflections of themselves. This is not that. Yeah. 
fairly grounded, fairly smart. There's not a bad performance among it. And it makes you at a time when things are kind of rough in the United States and you're looking for whatever the next miracle, whether that be on ice or just otherwise, that provided a little light. Yeah. Great film. Did yeah. a good job with it. I hope this isn't one of those goodwill hunting kind of things where they are given credit of writing the script and you come to find out that about five important screen doctors really came along and saved <laughs> sure. what were the aliens saving everybody from the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a good movie. Yeah. That's my number one. I like that movie a lot, too. I really like the town. I, Gone Baby Gone, I think, is also fairly mm-hmm. fairly decent as well. Great choice, Mr. Ben Affleck. We haven't spoken too highly of him on this podcast, mainly because it's been in a god-awful Batman space. Yeah. But that film is good. We're talking about one day on the show. Yeah. The town, too. My number one, uh, well, he made his career as an actor on television and All in the Family. It was a clear-cut number one for me. It's This is Spinal Tap. Uh, in my top 15 films of all time, introduced the mockumentary as a viable source. <laughs> We're going to make fun of how ridiculous uh, or how insane documentaries can be sometimes with the most insane rock group of all time. He's in it, but him piecing together essentially was just improvised, letting actors just go, right? And piecing that together in a coherent hour and 25-minute film, Hour and 25-minute film. You hear that? Yeah. An hour, 85 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, give it to me. It's, it's Mr. Rob it's, Reiner. It's so funny. He's so he's good in it as his character, Marty DeBerge, but he's the director that kind of brings that whole thing. And then he has a nice little run there as Mr. Director himself there. Uh, mm-hmm. um, that. Sally. Yeah. Uh, Misery. Sleepless Stand by me. Yep. He's got a good filmography, although he's a total prick in real life. Yeah, a few, uh, few good men. Yeah. Yeah, he has a pretty good little run there, but that yeah, that's my number one. Excellent choices. That's a pretty good six films. Anything by Clint Eastwood sneaking through? I okay. The one that I would choose is the one that most people laugh at. Mm-hmm. It's not Gran Torino, and I actually don't like Unforgiven. I think to talk about a snooze fest. Mm-hmm. I really like Play Misty for me. Mm. Going to harken back to a theme that I'd like to get to movie. today. Yeah, I think that's a solidly underrated great B film, man. Yeah. Yes, there's some Clint Eastwood properties in there. But I don't know if I like any of those more than I like the three that I put up. Yeah, yeah, me either. Good choices. Great man. choices. Do you have any honorable mentions? Uh, actually, I did. I and I, I, I remember uh, Jordan Peele, Get Out. Yeah. Uh, Bradley Cooper, Star is Born. Yep. Uh, I think those are pretty good little efforts. And, you know, they started in sketch comedy and, you know, uh, Wet Hot American Summer. <laughs> I'm going to give you a director and I want to give you a upcoming property that you'd like to see him get his hands on. So this is already coming, but you want John Krasinski to direct. What do you want? Because I think that that guy behind the camera has real potential. Like what's the property? You could pick anything that's coming or anything. You want to give him the Wolfman, like anything that could be out there in the future. Give him your property right now. Well, you know what? He, so there, there's something cooking. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Mr. Taylor Sheridan Uh-oh. from a couple of weeks back. So who's that? Yeah. So he did write, it wasn't good. It was with Michael B. Jordan. It was the Jack Ryan or no, no, it was the John Clark, which is the Tom Clancy without remorse film. Well, they're <laughs> going to, they're going to make a new film, which is going to be rainbow six, which mm-hmm. spawned a video game, a bunch of video games. Right. Uh, but that's John Clark, which will be Michael B. Jordan and uh, Jack Ryan Krasinski's going to pop into this thing too. Let him direct that. I'd like yeah. to see him take a piece of spy espionage action mm-hmm. from the world of Tom Clancy. I think that could be really cool. Mm-hmm. 
I wanted him if I could give him anything. And I think it dropped this week, and I'm sure you saw it too. I want Krasinski to have done, even though he didn't, mm. Renfield. Oh, yeah. Jesse, we've talked about that on mic a little bit, off mic a lot. Mm-hmm. Tangenial here. And, and to John Krasinski, let's salute him before we go. One to 10, having seen the trailer now, where, okay, before the trailer, one to 10, where were you on in the hype meter for, for uh, Renfield? Was it eight? Okay, I'm with you. Where are you now? Five? Yeah. That looks like a fucking mess, man. It just looks too funny. Yes, that's not a comedy. It's a little too tongue-in-cheek. I want it, like, reeled back a little bit, and I think I think the reins are loose off of Cage in that one, right? Said the same thing. <laughs> Nicholas Cage is going to ruin that film. Yeah. He's going to ruin that film. I, be a little too much. Yeah. As much as I was back on board with him and his weird stuff with Mandy, yeah. I'm out on him again now after um, the unbearable weight of terrible, the yeah. unbearable burden of massive, fa- massive talent. fucking whatever that was. <laughs> <laughs> the, the lot of weight on fame. Yeah. I'm out on him again because that was a hunk of crap. Yeah, and well, th- this, him as Dracula, brother. Oh, it just lo- and it looks too commercial for it to be any type of like weird, like kind of indie space because it's universal, right? Did you know it was contemporary? I didn't know it was. Contemporary. That's a mistake too. Yeah, I don't want to watch him at nightclubs. I think Nicholas Holt will be pretty good as Renfield. I'm with you there. Even Aquafina, and we, we kind of gave her a pretty decent shake in Shang Chi. She might be pretty good in that too. But oh yeah, I think. The, it might be too much cage and it might just be too jokey in a, in a tent pole kind of way for me. What, when is that? Oh, I'm dude? sure we're going to see that, it. Is that May? <laughs> it's April. Yeah, I know. We'll probably see it opening night. Yeah. But, oh man. I know. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Dwight Fry is spitting evil chiclets in his grave over what they've done to this character. <laughs> Do I have to come back as Igor again? Chiclets. Uh, good. Excellent. All right. Well, to your list. To your list. Hey, hit us up uh, on Rice Mile Productions at gmail.com. Let us know some of the best films by actors turned directors. Um, there was a ton. Like when I did the list, I was yeah. like, it was like, no, there's nothing for Mel Gibson on my list. He has a lot of uh, a pretty big filmography. Uh, there was a lot of people that just got skipped over here. Not so. even Apocalyptica? Oh, no. Uh, no, it's, it's too weird. If, if I was picking any Gibson joint, it'd be Braveheart. Um, but I'm going to tell you something that you're going to want to throw your drink at me. Mm. I'll let you do the sound and get us going. Good. I have never seen Braveheart. That's not a drink throwing. <laughs> That's, how revelation. can you host a film podcast and never have seen Braveheart? I know, but uh, I can see, um, but maybe we can fix that. Maybe if we did like a historical epic thing, that would be a good one to throw in there too. Yeah. It's nice and epic and bloody violent. Yeah. It's Scottish. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, let's get started with a review breakdown of Ordinary People. Oh, my God! It's Jesse's response to me not seeing that film. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take two. Here we go. Coal Miner's Daughter, a biography of Loretta Lynn and her rise from obscurity to fame. Who's drunk? A Bernard Schwartz, <laughs> Universal Pictures Production. Lillian Gish. Universal. Oh. Bernard Schwartz. Lillian Lush. Producer. <laughs> the <laughs> Elephant Man. The story of one of history's most unfortunate men. Mm. A Brooks <laughs> film. Films Limited Production Paramount. Jonathan Sanger, producer. David Lynch. (laughs) Ordinary 
people. Oh my God. A film about the lack of communication that nearly destroys a family. Oh, not nearly. A Wildwood yeah, right? Enterprises production, Paramount. Ronald L. Schwari, producer. <laughs> Raging Bull, the odyssey of a fighter's victories in the ring and his losses in life. That's putting it lightly. A Robert Chartoff, Irvin Whitler production, United Artists. Robert Chartoff and Irwin Winkler producers. <laughs> Tess, the classic tale of a young woman's pride and her passionate determination to defend it. A Ren Beryl production, Columbia. Claude Berry, producer, Timothy Beryl, co-producer. And the winner is, this is the time I'm right. Ordinary people. And the Oscar goes to Mrs. Gish for the in the role of sober, because she sure as shit wasn't for that. I know what happened. Brutal, dude. They saved that award for the end of the night, right? And she's hammered. Just getting hammered backstage. She's hammered. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty bad. For all of the Edina Manzel issues that John oh Travolta had, it can't even start that fucking lush. Yeah. That is an embarrassment. I know. The Academy probably wasn't too, none too pleased about that, right? Oh, Miss Gish is fucking hammered, oh, brother. Yeah. Hammered. And the Oscar goes to <laughs> interesting lineup, right? Um, I guess yeah. Let's talk, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, Coal miner's daughter, whatever. Pass. Uh, yeah, whatever we yeah. both uh, test some Roman Polanski joint. Never heard of it, but I am curious about these three films: yeah. The Elephant Man, yeah. Ordinary People, and uh, Raging Bull. Okay, so in a decade that I think for a lot of this leaves me cold, and I think you'd agree with me on the Out of Africa, Gandhi, mm -hmm. Emperor of the Sun. Bullshit. Yeah. Those are three really different walks of life films that might present a case that in 1980, maybe the best of the year, yeah. we can talk about 88, yeah. but that might be the best three pictures until we get to ready. And this might be a little crazy to say mm -hmm. fucking ET. Yeah. Um, and we were hard on ET and we were both wrong about that. Yeah. Which two snobs to us, to ET, <laughs> to having the humility to say that. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's interesting. And I wonder, too, so Raging Bull is produced by Robert Chardoff and Erwin Winkler, who also produced Rocky. Mm -hmm. So do they, therefore, is that just like an easy, just, they're not going to win because we already gave it to them and their other boxing movie? We're not going to give it to a second boxing movie they made? And Network didn't. Yeah. Yeah, right? And so... That movie snuck in? Are they just eliminated by, mm -hmm. you know, happen or happens? Vitriol? Yeah. Because we already did it once. Yes. And, the, the, you know, the Academy does like to, you know, honor new things and new people, whatever. I am curious about Elephant Man because I did revisit that film last year. And it's a character study. It's very sad. It's mm -hmm. very well acted. It's black and white. But, man, it's got moments of Lynchian weird that just tickle my heart. Uh, mm -hmm. It's almost too weird of a movie for the Academy. Right? Shocked that it even got nominated. Exactly. That is kind of shocking, actually. And Lynch was nominated for director, too. Mulholland Drive, I think, is his next foray into any sort of critically acclaimed... That won't win any award, right? <sighs> um, 
I do want to ask you, and then don't forget what you're going to say. Yeah. Can we put Empire Strikes Back in there and place How? a test? Exactly. <laughs> How is Cole it? Miner's daughter? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because as much as Hollywood was frowning on horror and science fiction at the time, I think we've also made the case that in the entire Star Wars film canon, Empire's the best it's film. It's the best, yeah. But it's the least action of any of them. I mean, the Millennium Falcon's in a worm for a third to half of the film, <laughs> and Luke is in some slimy cave with a puppet. There's not a lot going on mm-hmm. till the end. Uh, I can't help but go to Kramer versus Kramer right now. Okay, that, that would be the actually the year before this in the film. And the reason I'm saying that is we are just at a place where we just want to escape the terrible news cycle that is every single night, fucking Jimmy Carter and Iran, you know, hostage situations and gas Gas prices prices. (laughs) rationing this and boycotting the Olympics and Watergate, the the fucking nightmare that (laughs) is the early New York getting New York year by the minute. (laughs) You're not not wrong about that. So, I, what I'm struggling is, and we're going to get into this in Ordinary People. How was this so popular? How? Yeah. I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you. And it's funny that you bring this up. When I went to go see Avatar, you know how they play like commercials before and just like the what's Regal's thing with Maria Menounos? Yeah. Whatever the hell she's doing. That, yeah. But then they play commercials in between. And one of the commercials in there was like for like some crazy disease that if you have it and then you take this medicine, this is going to give you 10 side effects. And I'm yeah. like, shit. I was like, people come to the movies to escape. Yeah. And then you roll that up on the screen and it reminds them of how sick they are. Yeah. Get that out of here, man. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, that has nothing to do with dramas, but I, I, I honestly know what you mean, but like escapism, but then we go and wellow with these families and all their emotional drama, which is very heavy. Coal miner's daughter. Yeah. More just rot drama. Mm -hmm. Tess. I know you've never seen Tess. That's Mm -hmm. garbage. Streisand, I think, right? No, Natasha, Natasha Kinski. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I'm thinking of Yentl. That's Streisand. That's Streisand. (laughs) They all fit into the same category, I guess. Uh, And then ordinary people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to make the case we get into ordinary people Mm -hmm. thematically on why... I really, and this is not my my rating of the film, but why I really am struggling with the conversation in the greenlit producer's room. Mm-hmm. But maybe looking back at just this quick pre or 1980 to 1985 snapshot of the morosity of film yeah. to remind you of how gray and dark and grim your own world is. Maybe that's, you know, like, I can't understand grunge today. Yeah. I love it still, but I can't really explain why grunge was what grunge was. It's just feedback and kind of like lousy guitars mm-hmm. with harmonies. Yeah. It's just a trend that swept there through you go. There you go. and was really lauded by the pundits and appreciated and heaped praise upon and claim upon after Year in, year out, year in, year out, and it just kept getting yeah. reproduced. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's just yeah, very <clears throat> rot family drama. You want to see a family go through divorce? Kramer versus Kramer. You want to see a family just uh, totally obliterate itself? Watch this film. <laughs> like, yeah, 
Uh, yeah, we're still kind of escape, and it's you know it makes me appreciate films a little bit more, like Silence of the Lambs, actually yes. finding a way to get in there and yes. win everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, like those kind of like big moments, even for a film like Raging Bull, uh, also nominated this year. That's not a happy-go-lucky good time either, man. No. It's a film filled with violence, domestic abuse, and just insanity. And black and white, which makes it even grayer. Yeah. Even more grim, right? Maybe mm. it's good that this wasn't in black and white. It just, we'd just be like, man, I need some color in my life. Even if you throw Taxi Driver in there at the same time, oh, too. Oh, yeah. A few years before. Appreciate it. As much as you and I like that... 65, although it's really kind of 67, but you can start to feel the beginnings, but 65 to like 74, you could maybe go, if you want to do it 65 to 77, mm-hmm. man, when 77 ends. The Star Wars, right? Right. That's the moment. We go into this, yeah. whatever this is, the morosity of family drama. Yeah, 83's winner, I believe, is Terms of Endearment, which... Ugh. More of this, and if morosity is not a word, I'm I'm subjugating morose. So that's how I'm or conjugating morose, subjugating. Mm-hmm. Um, man, dude, I don't know. Let's get into it. Yeah, let's get into it. So you know, we start out with uh, you know, a montage played over canon of where are we? Massachusetts, yeah, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. We're somewhere where there's a coast, right? And you know, we're setting the stage in kind of a nice way, and it's fairly ominous, and it reminds me of the end of Halloween when we're seeing all the snapshots of Haddonfield. <laughs> But then we settle in with this family, uh, Timothy Hutton, Donald Sutherland, almost said Donald Pleasant. <laughs> Can you imagine Pleasance in this film? Mm-hmm. Evil! <laughs> and Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, and we, I like that, I do like this about the story, that we do get in late with them. And we get in late and we don't know why things are weird um, and why everyone's so on edge and so sweaty and just not sleeping and not eating. And then as things start settling in, we start piecing the, the pieces of this family just went through a pretty big tragedy in their lives. And this is kind of how they're dealing with dealing with it. So I have all these clips prepared uh, for us. Uh, so keep in mind, this is I tried to pick every instance where there is some sort of weird confrontation between this family. Mm-hmm. That's every clip except for one of them. Here he is. Morning. 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 You sleep? Yeah. Hungry? Um, hungry. Uh, it's French toast. It's your favorite. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not really hungry. Breakfast pal, remember? Main meal, energy. You're not hungry, you're not hungry. Wait a minute, Beb. Hang on a second, you'll eat it. Come on. It's French toast. There's fresh fruit for you when you get home what from school, Conrad. What are you doing, What are you doing? You can't say French toast. Listen, I gotta run. I'm playing at nine. Would you please call Mr. Herman about the shutters? I can't get anywhere with that fan. You have to charm Mr. Herman. Did you charm him? You have to eat, Con. We just want you to keep on getting stronger. Dad, I'm not hungry. Are you okay? Yeah. I gotta go. Uh, and Beast picking me up. Oh, is it great? Why is it great? I don't know. I, I don't see the old gang much anymore. I kind of miss them. Why don't you bring them around? Phil and Don and, and Dick Van Buren will play some touch football on the lawn. See you later. Rebel without a cause? A little bit, yeah. This is an interesting scene to me. It's... <clears throat> 
you know, Timothy Hutton comes downstairs here, you know, looking like Ted Stryker from Airplane, just like so sweaty. Oh, terrible. Dark, not, dark circles under his eyes. Not sleeping right. Obviously, he's not eating. And there's a lot said between, that's not said, right, between Mary Tyler Moore and Timothy Hutton, which was like, I just spent the last hour making this French toast and this breakfast for you. And he doesn't even really give him an opportunity to say, oh, I'll eat it in a little bit or I'll eat it when I get home. He says, I'm not hungry. Oh, he's not hungry then. So just I'm just throwing it in the, in the garbage disposal, right? Yeah. She's so quick to pass judgment on what she perceives. And as the film goes along, we're going to see that there's some animosity between these two. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think that's what ultimately makes the film work for me. And that's kind all of, there is. In an, interesting, in an interesting way, right? Yeah, right. Is just how much of... Mary Tyler Moore is kind of the worst in this thing. And it's, I don't want to judge people because everyone, you know, as we're about to get into this tragedy, people grieve in different ways and so be yourself. But the way she tries to grieve the loss of one son by neglecting another son doesn't seem right to me. Uh, and poor little Donald Sutherland stuck in the middle trying to bridge it together somehow. And him saying, no, no, he, he'll eat it, he'll eat it. And she's just talking over him, right? Make sure you pick your friends until they pick you. This is very yeah. similar to the domestic issues that um, we see in Rebel Without a Cause. Mm -hmm. James Dean struggles with mom and dad there. Now, in this particular story, Mary Tyler Moore, mom's going to take a much more proactive role and be much more antagonistic than just kind of the bitchy nag in the back that you see in Rebel. But on the flip side, dad's also a lot more effective than... Yeah. Um, Jim Backus is in Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah, Jim Backus, that's who, that's it, who is. it is. Yep. You can see he's trying to keep the peace. And I think at the end of the film, you're left with this question. Mm -hmm. Is his keeping the peace the biggest mistake that anyone makes in the movie? Because what I might contend, and I might contend, is if he lets these two go. Like just have it out? Have it out. Yeah. Maybe either A, they come to an understanding that, sadly, the relationship is over and done, and then you can just be done as much as you can't be done with your family. The hell you can't. Of course you can. Mm -hmm. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. Or B, all the grievances are aired, and you get a chance to bury the hatchet. And move on. And move on. Yeah. Because he's such a buffer at the end that it creates... <laughs> a wall between the two of them that each one of them are comfortably situated against never looking on the other side to see what the other person's doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can almost kind of interpret that as this is his grieving method, which is to not address the problem in the room, right? It's just to kind of dance around it and try and keep it together as much as possible, but it's really blown up in everyone's faces left and right. You brought up the other issue that since you brought it now, we might as well just do it. Yeah. Can this movie or a similar story mm -hmm. with mom as the chief antagonist in the film get made in 2023? Uh, I don't think so. Unless, and I mean, she can't be supernatural. Yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, then you could do like Hella as, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Blanchett as Hella or like, I mean, human domestic, terrible mother. Yeah. Can Margaret White 
can yeah unless it's horror right maybe horror that's the only place i could kind of come to a, a maybe and that's a maybe yeah because most time that involves possession of mm-hmm. some sort mm-hmm. which airs on supernatural yeah human of human means still yeah. of the mortal coil yeah I don't think Hollywood has the stones to make this movie that vilifies a woman in that way in 2023. I don't think they'd do it. Especially mom, right? No way. And I think that's why I do like it here. And I like that it's Mary Tyler Moore because coming from the Dick Van Dyke show and the Mary Tyler Moore show where she's... Newhart too, right? Yeah. uh, So sweet. The sweet, the girl next door, Mm -hmm. the wife next door. Yeah. And then she sheds all that to play this character in 1980 and... They called, you know, a risky move on her part, but I kind of dig it, right? I, it's it's why I like when Robin Williams would play against type, against comedic type, dramatic. Because they can maybe kind of turn out a performance that you never knew that they had. And she makes this film work for me because as much as the nagging and I just wish people would communicate in this film, her animosity is like really what keeps me interested in in this story. Yep. I think it's a really good performance from her, actually. So I do, too, and I agree with everything you said, so I have another question for you. Mm. Despite her being, I think, what is the impetus for conflict in this film, yeah. do you agree with me when I say that giving Hutton the nod for best supporting actor is bullshit and it should have been best actor because it's his movie? Yeah. How yeah. did he get best supporting and not best actor in this? I know, yeah. It's like Sutherland's the supporting actor. Everything is seen through his... He's the main character. His POV, his reaction, him going to school, right? Uh, that, that That's a weird one for me, too. How, how is that support? I mean, Judd Hirsch is the supporting that... Yeah. Did he get nominated for this? He did, yeah. Well, he deserved it. Yeah. But Hutton, I think we talked about this, is the youngest male to ever win that award at the time, 20. Yeah. Should have been best actor. Yeah. Do you think... Okay, do you think he's winning against De Niro as Lamada? Okay, so that's the question. You just beat me to the punch. Yeah. Ha ha, Raging yeah. Bull. Sure. No. Beat me to the punch, yeah. Right? No yeah. way. No, he's no. That's just, that's a generational performance there. So was this then that time when the Oscar, without making the acknowledgement, gives you the Lifetime Achievement Award for Rooster Cogburn when yeah. there's no way it's your best film? Yeah. A little bit. But you bit. give it to Timothy. So Tim, he's not established in Hollywood enough at this time to deserve that yet. Mm-hmm. But did they see that, they being the voting populace of the Oscar committee as the second best performance and decide we can't let this go to waste? Hey, maybe. I wonder if that happens often because it's just like, look, De Niro's getting actor. And deserves it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But we want to give Hutton something. Put him in the supporting thing. He's the best of that bunch, right? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know like how a lot of that shit goes down. <laughs> if you took the lines from the four main characters in this film, that would be Hirsch, Mary Tyler Moore, Sutherland, and Hutton. Mm-hmm. My expectation in total lines, the volume of lines would be Hirsch at four, Mm -hmm. Mary Tyler Moore at three, Sutherland at two, and Hutton at one. You got it. Now, if you go two and three and switch that and it's Sutherland and Mary Tyler Moore at two and three, it still doesn't matter. The person that has the most lines and shares and has the most screen time, how is that supporting actor? Yeah, that's, that's, it's botched now that you're talking about it, right? Right? Yeah. And, you know, because everything's from his point of view. So he goes to school and we kind of get uh, a little into, you know, his daily. He's on the swim team. And then at Walsh's Oh, my God. Coach. Talk about excellent <laughs> casting. What? Yeah. As, <laughs> as the swim coach. Football, Redf- co- football coach, maybe. I don't know about swim. Redford said, you see him in Blood Simple? Yeah. He's got to be the swim coach well, here. What? Plus, it didn't come out yet. Okay. Yeah. This got him Blood Simple. Yeah, it maybe probably did. 
That great casting choice. I love that guy. Maybe it's got him the jerk too. Mm-hmm. But He's, he hates these cams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's on the swim team, but it doesn't look like he really wants to be a part of it. He's in choir. He kind of enjoys that. And he's taking a shine to this girl, Elizabeth McGovern, right? Um, and it's all just about him just trying to like find some decent footing in this world where as much as the film tells us, he's been in like a psychiatric hospital for four X, months. Yeah, four months trying to get right and trying to, well, and then he tried to kill himself too. So trying to recover from his suicide attempt, but then also trying to process losing a brother, kind of being involved with that, right? Yeah. Feeling guilty. It's it's kind of the guilt complex with him trying to process. And then, then you come home. So imagine all that. Okay, brother dies in this boating accident. We're going to get some interesting flash. I think flashback works pretty well in this film. It, there, we're always seeing it when someone's like in transit, like it's like Sutherland on a train or someone in a car. And we flash back to like little images of the story that happened before where the film starts. So they're in a boating accident. It capsizes in the middle of this storm and the brother dies. So imagine going, your brother dies. You feel guilty about that. You try to kill yourself. Uh, you end up in this hospital for four, four months. Your mom doesn't come visit you. Not one single time. You come back and then she's just like super cold to you. Like can't even like interact with you in like a very humanly way. Yeah. I'll play the next clip and we'll just kind of talk about how awkward this is. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Don't do that. I'm sorry. I I didn't think you were here. I'm sorry, I just got in. I didn't I didn't know you were here. I didn't play golf today. It's too cold. How was your golf game? I didn't play. Oh, did get colder today, yeah. No, I mean for the year it's colder. Yeah. Weren't you swimming today? Uh-huh. Yeah, sorry I scared you. How'd it go? Good. I swam well today. Good. Yeah. Personally, I think I could swim the 50 if my timing oh. got if my timing got better. I'm just oh. a little little off on my on my timing. Well, you have to work at that. Yeah. I got 74 on a trig quiz. 74? Gee, I was awful at trig. Oh, yeah. Did you, you... You took trig? Wait a minute. Did I take trig? I... <laughs> I bought you two shirts. They're on your bed. One more. Your, uh, your hair is starting to grow out. It's looking looking better. I was thinking about the pigeon. You know, the one that used to hang around the garage? And how he used to get on top of your car and he'd take off when you pulled out of the driveway. Oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember how scared I used to get of that whoosh, flap, 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 every time I started the car. That was the closest we ever came to having a pet. <laughs> a pigeon. You remember Buck asked you, he tried to talk you into uh, getting a dog. Do you remember that? And he said, how about if it's just the size of a little football? You know, um, that, that animal next door, that uh, Pepper or Pippin, whatever Pippin, his name Pippin, is. Pippin, Pippin, Pippin. not Pippin. a very friendly dog. I, I don't care what Mr. McGreary says. What he really wanted really was not. the retriever He's... that was down the street for and sale. And every time That's that dog wanted, comes into his backyard and I try to get him out, he... <laughs> 
Which one do you want to do first? <sighs> Let's do the <clears throat> the bedroom first. Okay, this is going to sound obscene. Yeah. But I'm going to say it anyway. Go ahead. Sitting on the bed mm-hmm. in some state of euphoria as she's gazing at a picture, and then he walks in on her and she shrieks, is reminiscent of being busted while you're masturbating. Yeah. To me. To your son? Yeah. In his bedroom? Mm-hmm. I'm not contending that that's what she's doing, because yeah, no, clearly no. she's not. Yeah. But it's hard not to see... At least in my perverted, might be my perverted mind. I don't know. Well, that, there, there is that flashback later where <laughs> she's laying on the grass. Yeah, and Buck's talking, and she's just yucking it up, right? And just, just so smitten yeah. with him. My okay, perf- I'm glad my, that I'm not okay. My, so I'm per- not as, my perfect son. <laughs> <sighs> Look, maybe it's because of the birds. Yeah. But any time in film I see a woman on a bed in some euphoric state, whether that's just as simple as joy because it's her surprise birthday or Mother's Day breakfast, I don't know. I always yeah. find that to be a loaded possibility yeah. because we don't see women depicted mm-hmm. on the bed like that unless it's some allegory or illusion in noir yeah <clears throat> now maybe for and for every time i say that people would be like well what about this and i know there's a lot of what about isms yeah not in this kind of film yeah and that he walks in and that they are literally having the same conversation over and through each other mm-hmm. that is meaningless jesse yeah is deflection yeah oh this yeah this it's just like hey, this isn't even a conversation or it's just like they're in this instance, I think Timothy Hutton Con- Conrad is trying to make an attempt to talk with mom, right? Yeah. I got a this a, a 74. <laughs> I wouldn't be proud of a 74. You got a 74 on my trig exam. Yeah. Uh, yeah trying me. to tell her about that, about the swim team, about my time and this and that. And, man, she just is like a stepping stone to get out of this conversation, right? It's awkward. It's just weird and unnatural, and it doesn't seem like a natural mother-son relationship it seems like they're like roommates or some shit right <laughs> she's an interesting character isn't she yeah but i have a question for you mm-hmm. let me add one line to this scene okay and you tell me yeah or nay and then i have a follow-up question mom i got a 74 on that quiz on that trig quiz oh i hated trig ba 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 the only time i really ever learned how to do trig is when I used to help Buck with it. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Do you want that line in the film? Yeah, 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 I do. If that's in the film, mm-hmm. does that help make her as a character more fleshed out, and is that good or bad for the way we interpret it? I don't know if it makes her more fleshed out, because I think I already pick up on that, because it's favoritism, right? Yeah. She loved Buck. It was loved her him. prized son pig right Mm -hmm. uh so him dying in the tragic way that he did has had a tremendous effect on her i think i get all that without that line but if that line's in there i think it's just like it's more icy it's just it makes the scene more awkward which is i want more of that right Mm -hmm. (laughs) more drama in this kind of interaction between the two of them but did you ask me if it makes her like more likable or not no just if it fleshes her out because i've been wrestling with this in myself okay maybe Mm -hmm. you can help me with this or you can just tell me what you think okay I think of the three main characters, she's the most interesting. Yeah. She's the most hateable for sure. Yeah. 
but she's also really interesting. In my pantheon of dislikable women in film, she's probably third. Number one is Alice Tripp. That's Shelley Winters in A Place in the Sun, aforementioned. Number two is Margaret White. Mm. And this is number three. Now, I could probably give you a totally different one tomorrow. Yeah. But today, that's the one today. Okay. I like all those characters, and those are all terrific performances. They're hateable because each, whether it's Shelley Winters or Piper Laurie Mm -hmm. or um, Mary Tyler Moore, MTM, they're killing it. I can't decide in this film if... I, if I'm frustrated by the lack of maturity in the writing to get us to some conclusion, or if I'm enamored with the lack of writing in this, because I'm allowed to then venture mm. into there's some space for you to play with her in my own mind. Yeah. I think I like that more because not having those extra lines and not seeing like maybe one scene of the two Buck and Mary Tyler Moore interact. I think I get it. Mm -hmm. I think I get what this was like for Conrad for the last 10, 15 years of their lives. Right. Uh, Alvin Sargent, the screen screenwriter. We know this man. He wrote Spider-Man too. Yeah. The best Spider-Man movie that's ever been made. That's crazy. Yeah. If we're, I think lobbying any criticisms toward that part of the story, I think we got to go back to the book, right? That this is adapted from. And maybe it's just not there in the source material because I've never read this book and I don't plan on it. Yeah, no, no nor do I. Uh, but no, that's interesting. I wonder, I, I do like some space for interpretation, right? Uh, I don't like everything spoon-fed to me. And I, I know you don't like that either. Um, what do you think? Do you want a little bit more? I don't know. That's why I'm going back and forth. Let me give you one more that might help clarify this a bit. Okay. In Conrad's group of friends that he hangs out with, mm-hmm. there's the one boy in there who we've seen play that role and everything. It's the driver of the car that's got those long blonde hair. Yeah. We've seen that guy a lot. Yeah, that guy's in a lot of stuff. We don't see a ton of buck in this. We do see enough. What if the day that Conrad gets picked up by them, they come to the door? Mom's getting ready. Mary Tyler Moore's getting ready. That guy rolls in and we get, cause she, he looks like Buck, Jesse. Mm-hmm. She makes some comment like, oh, Buck used to have hair like this. And we get that moment from her where she's awkwardly or maybe overly interested in Buck. And I don't mean in some other kind of scandalous, I'm going to take him in the bedroom, Mrs. No, no, Robinson no, no, no. kind yeah, of way. Yeah, I know what you mean. But alluding to that strange infatuation that she seems to have with her perfect, beautiful son. And maybe that's the Kurt Cobain effect where you realize after they're dead, they're far more greater than they were. Cause it really was Dave Grohl that made that band. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> People are freaking out. right now. <laughs> Turn that shit off. I hate Matt. He's such an asshole. Do you hear what he just said? That, that, that one's true. I know that one's true. <laughs> um, so, so there is, there's a lot playing there. I'm, so I think I, I might like that too. I'm, but does that, is that, is that making the writing? I'm saying more mature, and I don't mean in a, in a derogatory way. But no, I know what you mean. If that matures the subtext in her character, do you like that more? Oh, that's a fun scene. That yeah, is. Yeah. But do we like that more or less? Because I can't decide if I like her a little bit nebulous. Because we do get what they're trying to tell us without all that. But maybe we I, also don't. I think I like. I think I like it a little bit nebulous because even. You know, I, I wonder about her relationship with Sutherland, too. It's just like, that's a weird marriage. And like, Brought up another thing I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, real quick, that guy's name is Frederick uh, Lenny. Uh, we've seen a lot of a lot of films. Uh, he's in Dark Knight Rises, and I remember him. He's the state trooper that 
in the be- beginning of the first Men in Black that gets blasted by that alien. Oh yeah, and then gets neuralized. Right. If I'm not mistaken, he's also with M. Emmett Walsh in my favorite X Files episode called Unnatural. That's mm. the one with the baseball playing yeah. alien. I think that's him in there too. Yeah. He's got that face, right? Teeth. And then Adam Baldwin's his other little crony. Oh yeah, you're right. From uh, my bodyguard, Independence Day. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about the marriage? Well, let's do the second scene with the sound you did first, and we'll come back to the marriage. All right, that seems weird to me, too, because it's, okay, they're talking about something kind of on natural ground, about the same topic, at least, and then they're just talking over each other about, he wanted a dog, it was a son of football, he's like, oh, Mr. McGillicuddy's dog, it was just, he's a real asshole. <laughs> they're not even having the same conversation at that point. Even though they're talking about the same thing, they're not doing the same thing, and it's really weird. And then he starts doing roof, roof, roof. And then I to like, try to get her attention. I like how she ends both scenes. In the first one, she says, I bought you two shirts. They're on your bed. Door closed. If you're going to be out here, put that jacket mm, on. Good catch. I'm out of here. She's Reverting to like basic, barely involved. Passive aggressiveness, right? I, I'm a mother because I buy you clothing and tell you to put it on. And that's how I'm proving myself that I'm a mother. Mm-hmm. She's a mother, but yeah. not a mother. What, oh, I, a good catch, what I do Jesse. appreciate about it, both of them in this instance is in that first scene, he walks up to her and is attempting to ask her some questions about, I got this on my trig, I the swim thing. And then in this scene, he she sees him from outside just laying on like the, the, uh, the, the lawn chair, right? And makes an attempt to go out and try and talk with. So they're trying, but man, they're like, they're on different planets. <laughs> yeah. Galaxies apart, huh? Yeah. And I think that's the sad part about the movie. I mean, tragedy of losing uh, another sibling and child aside, this is, I think, the real tragedy of ordinary people is, man, what this communication is just so fucked. <laughs> you know how when 500 Days of Summer is over, mm-hmm. we end up in a place where we kind of vilify Summer? Yeah. Despite the fact that the whole time she's been very clear yeah. with Tom about what she wants. Her intentions, yeah. Speaking of writing... Drama and then moving on to a Spider-Man property, Mr. Mark Webb. There you go. Um, Alvin Sargent did it better. Yes, he did. <laughs> Although I like Summer better than this film, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Are we remiss or are we making a mistake by vilifying Conrad's mom? What the hell's her name? What's her name in this oh, film? Oh, I got it. God, I should know that. Sorry, that's poor prep on podcast. Sorry, everybody. Are we making a mistake there? Is she really... Beth. Yeah. Is Beth really as bad as we make her out to be? Because I find her hateable by the end of this film. It's pretty bad. It's, you know, I tried to put myself in this circumstance. Like, if I had a sibling growing up and, like, this was me and my mom and, like, my mom was just rejecting me, like, time and time again. I mean, I would be pretty sour towards her, right? Um it does vilify her because it, it, she, you know, you lose one son. It's almost like, well, put the, all the rest of your love into your living son. And she just can't do that. Right. And that's where Sutherland calls her out towards the end of the film. Yeah. For himself and his love towards her as well. But I, I, I don't think, I don't think we're wrong. At least I don't think I'm wrong. No, she has to be the villain in this. Yeah. And her greatest sin is withholding her affection from her son. Mm-hmm. And this gets to, we'll get to the the marriage piece in a minute. This gets to my question about this film in the room getting greenlit. Okay. This film is not unlike what happens to most couples 
when they experience a tragedy with one of their children. Mm-hmm. I think I read some t- statistic like 60 plus percent of marriages that have that happen end up in separation or divorce. divorce yeah. I get it. It's hard. Yeah. It's a terrible burden. Every time you look at the person, you're thinking about it. You can never escape it. it I get it. Yeah. <laughs> in the middle of 1980, mm-hmm. when the whole world is as gray as it is, and I get Robert Redford. Yeah. I, I, I do. Mm-hmm. But Robert Redford in a first time, it might be his name alone, Matt. It, how did this and many like this? And maybe this is what started the the copycat trend down the road over and over and over. Yeah, I mean, even Deer Hunter to a certain extent, even though it's like that's a better film, that's not happy either. That's yeah. fucking movie's gray. Seventy eight, yeah. In this in this period of of shades of gray, yeah. And the world being gray, and every well, night on the in the why news, do we, it's, why do we keep doubling? How does doubling this? Down? <laughs> and and here's my other question, Jesse. Yeah, like you heard the Academy lose their minds when it won. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck all of them. Yeah. Who wanted to see this movie? And I'm going to tell you, this is a solid film. Yeah. I will never yeah. ever watch this again. Yeah, this is a hard like. Let's pop this on for Saturday night movie night, right? <laughs> Uh, let me answer my own question, then I'll let you run with it. Sure. I've often really struggled with why people find Monty Python so funny. I find it insufferable. And you know comedy is not my thing. Yeah. The reason I think for me that that people found Monty Python so funny is it juxtaposed against the fucking gray of this shit. Mm-hmm. At least it provided a smile on occasion. Yeah, some jubilation. Something. <laughs> yeah. This movie isn't entertainment. This movie isn't even fiction, Jesse. This is more like a documentary nonfiction on the family around the corner. You mean you don't like Life of Brian when they're all <laughs> hanging from the cross and well, thinking as much as on I, the bright side of life? <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I, I don't I don't hate it. I know what you mean. Yeah. But I, I don't get it like sure, most people sure, do. Yeah. How does this film? I know, yeah. I think it's, you know, it's the tale is old the time of Hollywood. It's who you know. I think Redford... Caught wind of this book. Maybe he liked it. What? And was like, I want to make a movie. I can get this Greenland because I know the guy at Paramount. Uh, he owes me one. And I'm Robert Redford. Yeah, let's greenlight this. And it has no commercial ability whatsoever. But then it like it comes through. It has good performances in it. it I think they made it for like six or nine million. Makes 90. Right. No, it's a good choice. So people went to see this and like, I guess had a good time with it. And I bet 90 adjusted for ROI. Oh, that's good. It's got to be like 315. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. $80. Yeah, absolutely. (sighs) Yeah. That's a mystery that I don't know if we can solve today, but. As they sat down and and Redford said, okay, I have an idea. Can we option this property? We're going to pin the script or Alvin Sargent's going to pin the script. And I, I didn't even know what he had done before he had done this. Do you? Yeah, I don't know. doesn't matter. It's fine. He, he had done something to work with Redford or they were buddies or something. Mm-hmm. And then they walk into the office and then this dour thing gets set on Paramount executive A, B, C, or D's desk. And then it goes to whatever agency, CAA or William Morris or whoever the hell was, you mm-hmm. know, the guy, the, the company, you know, UTA, I don't know who. And this got passed around and people said, I want to make that movie with a first time director. And then Mary Tyler Moore took the risk that every Hollywood actress at some point has to challenge herself with. And that is, do I want to play domestic villain Barbara Stanwyck? Yeah. But the only one I know that kind of came back from it, Davis a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, and then, 
it churns out 90. So people saw the hell out of this film. Yeah. Who left that film? And you can't say it's a bad film because it's not. It's a solid, yeah. solid film. How do you leave that film in like a good mood? <laughs> and then how do you say, look, you, you and I see a good film. And what do we say? Yeah. Oh, man, you've got to go see this movie. Yeah. You're at dinner with your friends <laughs> lamenting over, you know, the day after because, you know, any moment we're all going to die of nuclear radiation poisoning, <laughs> too, because that's how the 1980s, especially 1980 was. <laughs> And then you like at dinner and you say to everybody, you guys have to go see this movie? Yeah. I just gotta go see ordinary I, people. I can't I can't get my mind around that. Yeah. You guys wanna come over this weekend and watch a great movie? Mm-hmm. What do you want to watch, Rocky? No, no, let's watch ordinary people. Yeah. <laughs> and they all left home and they all went home and got divorced. You just can't do it. Uh, it's just like you, you know the little slasher movie I made in college. Uh <laughs> yes. I, I love to tell people that it was it's like Halloween. But with like ordinary people, Ooh. like it's just like you imagine, that. You're right. Imagine like the domestic squabbles, but you're just got a slasher in there. Mm-hmm. Like, but I think the problem, and this is the, I think the issue that I have with this film winning again. I'm with you. I think it's well made. Mm-hmm. We'll get into the ratings later. It's well acted. It's well directed. I think it's well written. Nobody talks about this movie anymore. I know. It's kind of lost to time. So I think we've even gotten tired of like this type of film of like watching it over and over again. It won best director, yeah, best picture, and best actress. I'll pull it up. Uh, picture director, adapted screenplay, and supporting actor. So four. Okay, so that's pretty. That's pretty good. That's pretty decent. That's yeah. a pretty good haul. Yeah. I I don't know Jesse. I, no, I'm telling you. you no, know, like it's just it's the thing. It's the the qualm I get with the Academy year after year with you know their winners and like the losers. And it's just like the you pick the winner, Dances with Wolves. No one ain't watching that movie anymore. But man, we're sure as shit talking about Goodfellas every which way that we're talking about a mob movie, right? Mm-hmm. I just don't I don't get it. Like it's just they they pick like the movie of the Zeitgeist, but then even that pick is like outlasted by its losers. Most times. Let's compare this to a minute yeah. for a minute to Whiplash. I think Whiplash is a pretty gray as in dark film. Yeah. And I don't think there's a pretty pink bow at the end. I think that the hell that those two men put each other through in that movie mm-hmm. is worth the payoff. Here's my, okay. And I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because we haven't got to this thing, but the big moment of joy for me in whiplash is after Neiman finishes that amazing solo and you get the eyes of teacher and pupil both coming to the place where they agree we have achieved what we set out and that's great jazz drumming. Mm-hmm. You don't even see their faces and then it nothing else matters. They both win. The villain and the good guy and it's questionable who's what in that because Neiman does some pretty shitty things to oh, people yeah. in that film he, too. He gets pretty hateable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so that moment in this film, the one moment of joy in this film is when Beth packs her shit and leaves mm-hmm. And dad and son hug each other on the patio. Yeah. If you want to say the other moment is like Conrad hugging Judd Hirsch and when they have the breakthrough in therapy, okay. But the big, and yes, I don't disagree, but the big, big payoff is, man, ding dong, the witch is dead. We can finally breathe again because that harpy's out of our lives. Move on. Okay, so if we're doing quadrant tentpole four function films yeah. what woman yeah. wants to see this movie i don't know i, don't I, I just i'm i'm just 
at a loss. Yeah, I can see all the mothers going to see this and they'd be like, God, am I a bad mother? (laughs) This is a terrible light to paint women in. That's why I said, I don't think they make this in 2023. Yeah, yeah. Mary Tyler Moore's awful in this film. As, I mean, character. Beth is awful. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what they saw in it in 80. And then again, and it might be, and that's again why my, my question of like its lasting impact is, yeah, we're just going to pop on ordinary people tonight. Let's watch Empire Strikes Back instead. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> even Love Story is tragic, oh, but this, that's, that's this, happy compared to this film. Well, that's the same boat as this stuff, right? Right, it's it, all in that same category. Yeah, well, it's just dying of terminal Stepford wives. cancer. Yeah, I like that movie. I do too. <laughs> I just, and Jesse, I know, um, I know what you mean. I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, would you, would you rather watch like, you know, I'd rather watch, you know, Kramer versus Kramer. I'd rather watch the mm-hmm. weird Vietnam apocalypse now movie than like two people struggle through divorce and like fight over custody of their kid. Right. Mm-hmm. That's just not fun. Cause it's real. Right. Yeah. Real people go through like all this stuff in this film and these films and they don't want to relive that. It's nice to dip your toe into it and be like, yeah, that was terrible. Never going to watch that again. I have another thing I'm dying to talk to you about. Yeah. Well, I've let, seen this th- film three times, by the way. <laughs> Did you watch it three times before, prior no, to this? No, not week? prior to this, but oh. like, no, no, no. Listen, you probably need another drink. Not before this, ep- but like in the last 10 years, I've seen it three times. Yeah. Okay. I want to do the marriage. Then I want to come back to this other question that I'm dying to, to pose. Yeah. For a woman who's as shut off and as cold as Beth is. Yeah after a night out with her friends and she seems to be very social and still on a vacation and makes it pretty clear at dinner that what the two of them need is to get away so they can reconnect. So she's still into her husband. Yeah. Yeah. Which all too often in cinema these days is like, yeah, I'm championing this cause with this whole schlum and I just want to get the fuck away from this loser because the yeah. pool boy's hot or whatever. Yeah. She seems to be truly into him. And what's interesting is as cold and, frigidly repressed towards Conrad she is, boy, she is eager in the sack Mm -hmm. because she rolls over to take a sleep. Donald Sutherland rolls over and dad PJs, grabs her shoulder, pecks her on the cheek, and it's like the gates of heaven open immediately. Yeah, and all the plans they're making, like let's go to London for Christmas. It's just like, just us, right? Still dating, loves to play golf with him, loves to drink, hangs out socially. That dinner party they go to, right? dinner party where she's the life of the party seems to be eager in the sack. Like everything else seems to still be kind of functional. Mm-hmm. And this is this is also interesting to me in that space. When we get the flashbacks, like the final flashback that Donald Sutherland gets before on the plane ride coming home after that fight they have on the golf course. Yeah, oh yeah I got that clip. Is the two of them dancing mm-hmm. and her hair is flowing and she looks a lot more loose and just... Not so corn cob of hatred From shoved up like her ass. Like twenty years before or something? Do you imagine? Yeah, or? like this big, vibrant, pretty, flowing, yeah. lush woman. Yeah. I don't mean lush in a Lillian Gish way. Oh yeah. And then you take that and you turn it into hairs up really tight in this tight, tight, tight semi, you know, afro that she's got. She's shut down, but she's still not shut down to him. Yeah. And then it's different for him because, yeah, he's still into his wife, but. A, he also still loves his son. So what's Donald Sutherland's burden or sin in this? uh, He's just trying to keep the family together, and he's just caught in between. He's getting it from his son. He's getting it from his wife. Like, they're both unhappy. He's trying to keep both of them happy. It's a lose-lose for him, right? If 
Yeah. <laughs> if Beth is too afraid to love Conrad, because I think at one point she did, she may not have been, she may have been some number one, yeah. but she did love him. And she admits that. Do you think uh, if she's afraid to continue to love him because he almost let her down again by killing her, which would destroy her a second time. Mm-hmm. So she just decides I'm letting this ship go. This ship is sailed. I'm moving on because this dude's going to let me down. So I can almost understand that, which if we're being honest is just cowardice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Then isn't Donald Sutherland as equally cowardice because by not addressing the issue with his mother, he lets another death occur, which is, and I get it, the death of their marriage. He's just as cowardly. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Or am I wrong? Am I, am I short-sighted on this? No, I think you're right. It's yeah. You know, he's trying to keep that part alive and then, Keep keep the relationship with his son alive because and he doesn't want his son to commit suicide again, right? Yeah, right. So there's a lot on Donald Sutherland's shoulders uh, in this film of just trying to like keep this nuclear family. This again, again, I think this is the interesting part about the film too. They're not. There's they're a pretty well-to-do upper middle class family, right? I mean, their house is nice. They're living here. I mean, they're they're going to swanky dinner parties. They're jogging before work, or yeah, they got boats. Like they're they're, they're pretty good mm-hmm. they're going to portugal for christmas they're going to houston for god knows how long they're doing okay but the fact that like it's just he's not okay with he needs her to go talk with him and then i'm gonna play the next clip and i like how it ends because she makes her decision very clear um this seems crazy uh, no i'll tell you what let's get the three men in there and i'll take a picture of you connie move in a little closer to your mother Okay, prize winner. Yeah, that's great. Portrait. That is great. Do it. Page one, Lake Forester. Isn't it, Mother? Yes, it's yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, it doesn't come. Calvin. Hold it. Connie, smile. Calvin. Just a second, smile. Calvin, give me the camera. No, I didn't get it yet, Beth. Come on, give me the camera. Dad, give me the camera. I want a really good picture of the two of you, okay? No, but I really want to get a shot of the three of you men. Give me the camera, Calvin, Not until I get a picture of the two of you. Cal. Hang on a second. Give me the goddamn camera! Super awkward. (laughs) Just, she won't even take a picture with her son. Just the two of them. No memory. Yeah. Wants no remembrance of anything having to do with him. Yeah. I don't think this is explicitly said in the film, and this is my interpretation, but do you think there's a shred of her that, like, she blames him for the death of Buck? Yeah. That's what I think. Well, In order to harbor such terrible feelings towards him, how could you not blame someone for that tragedy? And how she could, I have no, it was was a fucking storm. Like, the boat blew over. (laughs) So that that gets to the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. Okay. Yeah, so she blames him and um, maybe you should have done more. Help me out here. Is Conrad the older or younger brother to Buck? He's the younger He's brother. He's younger, yeah. Okay. In this storm, um, yeah, in this storm, um, boat blows over and they have that Titanic moment where they're hanging onto each other. Oh, literally, yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> the big breakthrough comes in therapy for Conrad. Mm-hmm. When Hirsch has taught him how to stop avoiding emotion and just be present and work through them. But in that, he's got to come to the place where after he lets go of Buck's hand and Buck slips into the water, Conrad doesn't try to get him. Mm -hmm. And I got to ask you a question. I'm not trying to be too rocky or hard. 
fuck you. Yeah. You didn't even try. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I would, it's easy for me on a mic with, you know, no rain pouring on my head and mm-hmm. not worried about drowning on a capsized boat to say this now. Yeah. I, and I recognize that. Yeah. But it's fiction in a film. Mm-hmm. Him not going, I, I don't care what anyone says, and him I, not going is cowardice. Yeah, and I think that's the guilt he's living with, right? And for sure. Yeah. Is just the acknowledgement of, because what, what Hirsch tells him is, you didn't go to try to save him. You can live with that, can't you? No. Mm-hmm. No. Could you? Well, I think that's why he tries to kill himself, right? But, I mean, that line... Mm-hmm erases all of the issues he's having and quells that fire of regret and remorse. Just you can live with that. Can't you? No. Yeah. You didn't try to save your brother. And if that's the case, I get why. And I don't know if mom knows the whole grim details of that, but I'm going to assume she does. Mm -hmm. I get why she's pissed off. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand why she's pissed off and I understand why he feels so terrible about everything. Why he won't eat, he's not sleeping, yeah. he's got all these fucked up relationships, is I feel guilty that I didn't at least try to save my brother. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get it. I, I I totally understand all of that, and this is just their reaction toward it. It's just, I guess that's the sad part about the movie, is just that it's at this state, and it, I don't think it's repairable at this point. I don't either. <laughs> and here's the other thing, too, I want to bring up. Yeah. I think we both have said, I'm not sure how this movie won the Academy Award. Mm-hmm. Because it's so grim. Mm -hmm. We have talked less about story Mm -hmm. this week than we have maybe ever. And more about theory this week than we have. Is this why what you and I I are doing? I don't know if there is really a story in this film. It's really just watching characters react to their stuff. And if or will they not get better, I think is the question at the end of the day. Yeah, these these social conundrums that have unfolded in this family amidst this terrible tragedy. Yeah, and a, you and I are, are bouncing these ideas off each other. Is this enough? Yeah, there's no reversal recognition in this story. Yeah, no, they're, they're, it, right. It's just like, is this fight going to blow up into fixing it or making it worse, right? <laughs> terrible beat-wise. Yeah. But we've had a pretty good discussion about this. Think, is this what did it? Is I, this what got this be. thing across the finish yeah, line? Yeah, it could be. It could be the characters, and they were just that interesting. And I wonder if this is what made Robert Redford a perfect director for this. Is It's a character piece. It's all about acting. Mm-hmm. And he's an actor. Mm-hmm. So he knows what to tell them, right? Yeah. You got to play it like this. You got to play it like that. So like, as a directorial debut, this is a great thing because it, it's not reliant on having to have that twist at the end of the story, right? There is a bit of a twist at the end with the, one of the... Yeah. I want to talk about that. Okay, because that's a part... I, we can do that in a minute, too, because I think that's a mailed-in bullshit part also. Yeah. <laughs> like, why isn't it Elizabeth McGovern? That killed herself? Do it. If you're going to do it, fucking do it. Yeah, there's two characters. Yeah, there's like two girls, and then if you don't pay attention, they have the same haircut. It's almost... You'll mm-hmm. kind of remember them as the same character. But he, he befriended someone at the psychiatric hospital. Linda, I think? Yeah. You're looking it up for me. Karen. Karen. Karen and Janine. Elizabeth McGovern is Jean and Dinah Manoff is Karen. Yeah, there you go. Karen. And they struck up a a pretty good friendship and he meets up with her post uh, getting out of the hospital and they were both in their weird, strange place and they try and kind of make peace with, you know, how messed up their lives are, but like trying to make the best. Let's, Let's have the best Christmas possible, right? Yeah. And so, you know, they part ways and he calls a little bit later and was like, oh, Karen's dead. She killed herself. And then that's that. I mean, she let her mental illness and the things that were bringing her down get the best of her. 
And then that's what spins him out to go talk to Judd Hurst to ultimately confess and own up to, like, talking about it for the first time, right? This boating accident. But then the stuff with Elizabeth McGovern is interesting, too, because it's almost like I want that to work so much for Timothy Hutton because it's a win for him in this very grim life, right? Right. The girls actually, and it's almost too easy for him. Got to knock the story a little bit. It's just like he takes a shine to that girl and then like she's into him and starts talking with him. And then he calls her and goes on a date. And it's just, it's too easy, right? It's just like real world ain't that easy. It's just like you're stressing out about it, whether she likes you or not. Yeah. But it kind of falls into his lap and I really want that to work. And at the end, it almost looks like it's going to fall apart, right? Yeah, why do we have two separate girls? It should be one character, right? But I don't know. If his girl that he's dated kills herself, I don't know. That might push him over the edge, too. It like, might, but I'm what, this movie's afraid to go that dark? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Because when that happened, and it's been over a decade since I've seen this film, I've only seen it twice now. I had to go back and be like, wait, who's Karen? That's Elizabeth McGovern. And then she showed back up, and I'm like, oh, wait, her name's... That's a different character. Oh, snap. And then... It lost some of its its teeth for me because, look, that's sad. I mean, this is his friend, and she still killed herself, and that's really, really sad. Yeah. And maybe we're seeing growth. I think we've seen plenty of growth in him already, so yeah. I don't know if that's enough for me. I think quitting the swim team is growth on his part. I love the way he quits, too. Yeah. I'm not into it. <laughs> I just don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. I'm just not into it anymore. Yeah. Okay. I won't, don't, yeah, don't ask me back because I'm, 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 I'm good with my decision. Honesty, yeah. That's a big moment because that's one of the things this family's really struggling with. Okay, so you brought up this other thing too. Can I and, just can I say no, one thing? Yeah, yeah. And don't forget that. Okay. Their date? Yeah. Bowling at McDonald's? Sign me up, man. Awesome <laughs> date. That sounds pretty good for high school. Heck yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that. That sounds like a fun night. Yeah. Better than a movie. Mm-hmm. Not that a movie's any less fun, but on a side note here. Yeah. That's a terrible first date. Yeah. Do you know why? Yeah. You can't talk because yeah. you can't talk in the movie theater. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just you can't talk. You talk about it after, and then it's nighttime. You got to take her home already. You get the car ride there, which is going to be awkward because it's the first time you're together alone. Then you get the movie theater, which is entertaining enough to not let you get to meet each other. Then you get home, and you have no way of knowing if the chick was into you or not because you didn't, unless you tried to hold her hand in the movie, and that'd be weird, I think, on the first date. Yeah. So then what if the movie was bad? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You took me to that? Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's a bad McDonald's and bowling is much better. And I like that. And I like that she's playing and she's like, I'm a really funny bowler. Like <laughs> one to ten, give me. It's like it's a ten. Like it's weird. I like I, I'm doing it weird. And he kind of plays into that a little bit. It's it's nice and cute. I like it. When she asks him mm -hmm. at McDonald's, why'd you do it? Do you think he gives her an honest answer? Because mm. it's a big moment also. I think so. Because I tell her? Because I miss my brother. What do yeah, you say? Yeah. Okay, so we're seeing some progress that I don't mm -hmm. know if we see from mom and dad because I don't know if they're able to be honest with each other. Mom hides on vacations and social engagements and dad hides behind his son. Yeah. <sighs> is right. His family's messed up. <laughs> okay, so this gets to the other thing I want to talk. This is just Let's about ordinary people okay. and this the critical acclaim that it, it garnered. Okay. You and I do not talk like this the way most normal people do. Mm -hmm. We have a weekly podcast where we drink and we sit around and play film snobs and get in the weeds on yeah. character motivation and story beats and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. That's not to say we're better. Or we're, I'm not saying anything. We're just two idiots talking about film. Do you think that average Tom and Sally on Friday night out 
sat down and wanted to dive in deep to this film because I'm going to say no. And if you don't dive in deep, it's not a statement on anyone's intellect. It's just really hard analysis on a pretty complex film. I don't know how you find any resolution or viable quality in this grim gray thing, unless you're going to get in and be like, the death of you know women and, and family and parallelism and blah, all this other film shit we're I talking about. I, I think I agree with you. I think unless you're like really looking at the characters and like where they were before, which isn't given to you, right? It's mm-hmm. all done in flashback briefly. Good point. And you have to piece that together to where they're at now, yeah. and then to piece that together with maybe where they end up in the future. Yeah, that's a lot of work to do for just average Joe going to the theater with his family. Yeah, they're forgetting this movie the second they leave. They're going to Dairy Queen to bring some happiness to their evening. <laughs> because, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Because I think there were movies that mm. were film snob light that offered the same thing. And the two that come to mind right off the top of my head are Indecent Proposal. Uh-huh. Would you do that for a million dollars, honey? Yeah. Plays What If. And the second one is Fatal Attraction. What If. I think both of those do the same kind of couple analysis by what's presented to the audience on screen that could cause, oh, maybe a tough discussion. Hey, Fatal Attraction. Nominated for Best Picture yeah. in 87. Yeah. yeah. yeah, Right. Mm-hmm. Those do a version of this, which is end of relationship through a what-if type scenario, yeah. I suppose. Mm-hmm. But in a lot less heavy way. So what I'm saying is, Joe and Sally or Tom and Susan or whatever name I gave that couple a a little while ago on Friday night has the indecent proposal conversation in like six minutes, then moves on to like weather or I don't know, whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever we talk about. Yeah. They're done with it. Fatal attraction is, you know, if honey, this is the trap, right? Yeah. I won't get mad. Be honest with me. If you could get away with a fit with an affair and it meant nothing, would you do it? Mm -hmm. Just for conversation, just as we sit here waiting for our nachos to come on the appetizer or our fried zucchini or whatever. Just hope it's not Alex Forrest. (laughs) Exactly. And then... Yeah, then you have a convo about it, right? Or with you, or or maybe, yeah, or maybe you sit down with your friends and you have that conversation. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Yeah, to speak to the just the popularity of this and the bucket made (laughs) and the critical accolades. Yeah. I don't believe it. It's perplexing. But then I'm going to argue it just with the other films. You talk about the Elephant Man. Yeah. If you were deformed like the Elephant Man, would you just like uh, you die of a broken heart? Like, if you were Tess and no one cared, would you make a movie about that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> just like there's just, there's not a lot of just like escapism in any of these 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 offerings this year. It's, it's really interesting. Off and, the and, top of your head, give me a comedy from 1980. Go airplane, airplane. Right. Yeah. Slapsticky, schlocky. That's the first one I thought of too. Yeah. There was lighthearted out there. Yeah. Airplane for all of that, what it is and isn't. That is a really creative film. God, I love that movie. I do too. You like about gl- every seven years. You gotta like gladiator movies. You like gladiator movies. <laughs> That's so stupid. You like spending time in a Turkish bath. Oh my god. Anyway, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. There was some lighthearted escapism in Empire Strikes Back, Airplane, and then man, we just settled in on this and we're just like, man, we're just so grim with this family's drama. I'm gonna play this clip next. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, we'll wrap up uh, the rest of this film. Maybe our next vacation is strictly golf. Pinehurst, Myrtle Beach. Oh, Pinehurst. I think Connie'd like Pinehurst. 
Do you do that deliberately, or is it just a reflex? Well, you said vacation, so I just assumed you meant him, too. I'm surprised you haven't felt the need to call him since we've been here. I was going to call him tonight. Hey, can we have a little drink before we head back? Drink, Hope yes. So. Little, no. Yeah. What'd you get, Cal? What'd you get? Finish what? Six. What you started. What I started? What you started. Oh, there's no point in this. I think there's it. a point. He controls you even when you're 2,000 uh, miles away. He isn't away. the problem. Isn't he? No, he isn't. Now, let's talk about what's really bothering no, you. No, no. Let's talk about what's bothering you. Because that's what you want, isn't it? Jesus, what have I done to make you so angry with it's me? It's not what you've done. It's what you think I've done. You blame me for the whole thing. But can't you see anything except in terms of how it affects you? No, I can't. And neither can you. And neither can anybody else. Oh, Only maybe true. I'm just a little more honest about well, it. Well, stop being so goddamned honest and start being a little generous and start thinking about him for a while. I don't know what it is he expects from me. I never have known. Well, I'll tell you what he expects. What? He wants me to throw my arms around him every time he passes an exam? Well, I can't do it. I cannot respond when someone says, here, I just did this great thing. Love me. All, I can't. All he wants, all he wants is to know that you don't hate him. That's hate it. him? God, how could I hate him? Mothers don't hate their sons. But, is that what he told you? Do you see how you accept what he says with no questions and you can't do the same thing I'm for me? I'm just trying to keep this family God, I don't together. know what anyone wants from me anymore. Oh, Nobody wants anything uh, from me. Uh, listen, look, look. We all just want Cal, Con, everybody. We just want you to be happy. Happy? Yes. Ward, you tell me the definition of happy, huh? But first, you better make sure that your kids are good and safe. That no one's fallen off a horse or been hit by a car or drowned in that swimming pool you're so proud of. Oh, yeah. And then you come to me and tell me how to be happy. The most honest moment we get from her about the reveal of what she thinks, and they're both right in their conversation. Yeah, they're both right. I was just gonna say that, yeah, with their argument. And so, like, I just don't know how you win that. I mean, it's just you know, some person perceives this as this way, and he's trying to keep everything together, and I just can't fault them for how they feel. Everything is filtered through the, the vision of self mm-hmm. first because you have to internalize it to interpret it. That's what she's saying. He comes back and says. Yeah, you're right. But what you also have to do in order to be a good human is you have to find a way to either hide that or think about others in almost the same amount that you do so that at least they know that you're not just in this for yourself. They're both right. Yeah. It's just how do you not love your son, right? Okay, so here's the question. Yeah. Do you think she loves him? I don't know. Everything I've seen in this film points to... I. You're a part of my family and I birthed you, but like, I don't know if I love you the way I loved my other son. And she just can't, and she just can't move past that. And he can't, he'll never be able to get through to her. She'll never be able to get over that. So maybe the way this film ends up is the only possible outcome, right? Can you fight with someone hard? Yeah. If you don't give a damn about them anymore? Uh I mean, you can, but yeah. would you? Yeah. yeah, you probably don't, right? Yeah. See, again, this is not the, hey, how's that quesadilla? I got a question for you. This isn't that. This is like pretty complex shit here. Okay, put down that boneless wing and you tell me about whether or not you'd still love your child after, after you know, you lost another one. And if you did, could you still show love without physically actually providing love? Yeah. Go. Yeah. Pass some blue cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That's that's bullshit. No way. Yeah, I'm with you. It's just, yeah, these these people are messed up in this movie. 
And the voting populace in 1980s messed up about this yeah, movie. Just like, they must have just been really depressed in 80, right? Yeah, this year sucks. <laughs> Let's pick a sucky movie. Yeah. At least it's done well, finally. Yeah. You were going to say something. Yeah, I think, that's really, I think that's a really good scene. I think that's, you know, it's, I like that it's public, and I like that for the, like, the first time, like, they don't care who listens to their fight. Yeah. They're on the green, man. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, all the other golfers are hearing their two friends are having to listen to this awkward conversation and be a part of it. And then yeah. they get thrown into it. Like, it's just weird. And then, obviously, a silent plane ride all the way home, right? <laughs> just, uh, and, and he's almost out now because he's remembering. Oh, he's getting out, yeah. A much prettier, flowing, lush version of he and his wife dancing on happier times. Yeah. Well, and I think it says something a lot about the, the so the very next scene, they come home and then we cut to mm. the middle of the night and he's just at the dinner, uh, dining table sobbing, right? Thinking about how- We forgot one other part before that. Which part? The part where they come home and Conrad says, I'm really glad to see you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then hugs mom. Mm-hmm. She doesn't move. Mm-hmm. And when he finishes, she's just statuesque. Oh, yeah. She's did just he like, just put his hands on her? Did a ghost just hug me? <laughs> and you watch Donald Sutherland. Yep. Calvin look at her and just go like. How fucking dare you? You bitch. Yeah. You yeah. bitch. Yep. Yep. And she's right. He's right. You bitch. Mm-hmm. You bitch. So you dec- can't even hug him. Decision made, right? So then that gets to your dinner time. Yeah. And he's just crying at the dinner table. And she's like, the hell are you sobbing down here for? And it's like, come, come, come back up to bed. And he, yeah, he lets her have it. It's just like, I've been thinking down here about how messed up everything is and how I feel about you and Conrad and this and that. And it's just like, I don't think I love you anymore if this is how you're going to be acting. And mm-hmm. essentially gives her an ultimatum without really giving her one. It was just like, you're out you're until out. you fix yourself. Which my takeaway at the end of the day is, she never comes back. Did he give her a way back in that? I must have missed that. I don't think so. But like, that's why I said an ultimatum without really giving one. Which yeah. just like, yeah. I want you out of here. I don't love you. And I don't know if I love you anymore. And you're kind of the problem. And you're, you're, you're fucking up the sun that still exists right now. And he's right. Yeah. And I think she knows that too, at the end of the day. So she kind of goes up and in a sad, somber way, goes and packs a bag and is broken up about it. But I think she knows that this needed to happen to she breaks, but I'm going to pose another thing to you. And I don't know if what she breaks is severe enough for what's about to happen. Like she kind of oh, buckles her knees and sheds a couple tears and then packs her shit and she's gone. She bends, but she doesn't break. Right. <laughs> the ice queen melteth not. Yeah. Drippeth maybe. Cause she's like, Oh, let, oh. let me pack. Does she ever come back? No way. Yeah. I don't think so. Would they have her back? How do you put that back? I don't know. Yeah, I, I I don't think so. I think she moves. She's going to Houston, he says, whatever. I don't know. When Conrad hugs Calvin. Yeah. It's a hug of, I think, Dad sub, thanks for supporting me, but it's a hug of relief that, I mean, literally, ding dong, the witch is dead. That harpy's out of our lives. This is We're over. Good. Yeah. yeah. I dig it. I kind of, I like the ending. I, like, I do too. I, the ending's good. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Where's Mama? She's going to Houston. She's going to sort some shit out. And he's like, I always respected you, Dad, to kind of be the glue that held everything together. And mm-hmm. this is the one relationship that was good in the movie, right? Elizabeth McGovern and him are, that's good. And him and Judd Hirsch, I think it's all about him, like, reforming these interesting relationships with these people now. And then severing the one with Mom, as sad as that sounds. So like, that's like, sounds like the worst thing you could ever do with your mother, right? Is just, it needed to happen in this instance. I just don't see a fixable solution. Let's play a game. Yeah. Real quick. 
And that's uh, the dad is very appreciative. Calvin's very appreciative that Conrad saw the value added from dad's attempts to trying to be so strong. Yeah. Okay. We used to play this all the time when we'd build like one pages. And, and so, yeah, this movie is about blank communication, communication for or lack thereof. I think I'm with you mm-hmm. maybe with the prequel to communication, which is vulnerability. Yeah. That's your Academy Award winner in 1980. There you go. A vulnerable movie about communication. I know. But like you said, in a way that's... But not blah. That's in a way that's really well made, well acted. I like, we've had a good talk for 90 minutes about. I like a lot of the scenes that are in this thing. So let me... Uh, a few just little facts about that. Do you have anything else to say about the movie or any scenes we forgot about? No. So I said this earlier, $6.2 million budget, $90 million gross. Cha-ching. I mean, they're laughing all the way at the bank while they're carrying their statues to the bank, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You said this, uh, Hutton was the youngest winner of uh, male acting, uh, supporting actor, and any just actor uh, to begin with. Uh, his dad died right before they went into production on this filming, so that probably mm. influenced a lot of his performance, right? Like, you know, you're role model in life dies right before you have to go shoot this heavy film, right? Yeah. Probably says a lot about like what he's able to go through and why his performance at the end of the day is actually pretty good method without having to be too method. Mm -hmm. And then we had talked about it already change of pace for Judd Hirsch and Mary Tyler Moore. I mean, he was in taxi and she was in all those sitcoms and they're playing like really hard characters in this thing. So I got to applaud that. Like, if you know, if I was an actor, I would love to break type of like, I want to play the crazy psycho. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that would be fun. Heck and yeah. it, they might hate me for it, but damn, I'll do a good job at it. Mm-hmm. If given the opportunity, Donald Sutherland is going to go down as one of the most unrecognized, really good talents in Hollywood of all time. Mm-hmm. He never right. gets like, we poke a lot of fun at Claude Rains, Claude Rains and, yeah, so, no, yeah, Sutherland's up there. He's really good, and with no no accolades that I know of heaped upon him. Yeah. I think the biggest crime with him in this film is that he doesn't have that great stash that he always has. For whatever reason, Redford was like, shave that thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that ain't New England wasp, right? It's just, well you need to shave that. But yeah. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, MASH. Uh, even the Hunger Games late. Yeah. I've Backdraft. Al- I've yeah, I've always, always loved Sutherland. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe his household was a little bit like this, and that's why Kiefer was a little <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> maybe I have no idea. But what's your favorite tasty note of ordinary people? I think the sound that you played on the pigeon where Timothy Hutton just begins barking at mom. Uh, you're not sure if he's barking because she said that's what gets my attention is that dog being such a jerk? So he's just emulating that. Or if he's literally trying to bark at her and scare away because she said, I don't like that dog and I want to leave it alone. It's really a, whoever would have thought barking. Yeah. But it's a big scene. There's a lot of them, but I'm going to go with that one. I like their date. Um, Even when it kind of gets derailed a little bit by like the jocks that come in and like kind of make buffoons of everybody and they kind of get her wrapped up into it. And he gets a little off put by that. But even that's kind of not enough to like ruin everything. They're still kind of on good terms. Like I kind of dig that. And that to me, even maybe more than the therapy with Judd Hirsch, that was more of a step forward for Conrad than I think anything in the film was like, this is me trying to make a life for myself with someone that I care about. 
that I have things in common with, right? I think that's brave. Yeah, I think it's very brave. So, oh man, what are we going to pick for the... lot to pick from here. I think I'm going to pick, uh, and we kind of glossed over this moment, but it was just kind of another scene in the, the, the crazy amounts of, man, this is awkward. Man, when they bring that Christmas tree home, and she's like, eh, it's okay. And then she's like, yeah, that was directed at me. And then they just have it out, right? Like big time. And like, yeah, if Conrad was sick and you had the flu, you'd still go, or Buck was sick, you'd go see him. They, that was like the first time that they like really kind of go at it, right? Yeah. Uh, awkward as hell. I don't want to be in that situation like whatsoever, but it's really well done. It's just, it just, just, it convolutes everything in this story, that particular scene. Yeah, good one. Uh, mine's Calvin's acknowledgement of a completely present but yet totally estranged relationship with him, him and his wife at the dinner table. The, I don't think I love you anymore. That's a tough thing to tell somebody. And I didn't think that he had it in him, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, the That's growth for him, right? Yeah. Sure. The final, well, the only one that doesn't grow, and I'm not going to judge her for it, then would be Beth, because she's good where she's at. Yeah. I mean, she expresses the affection that she feels for Calvin when he, or for um, Conrad when he hugs her, which is nothing. I have nothing for you. Yeah. It's honest. Like it's honest. This, right? <laughs> yeah. It's not hard to put your left hand up around his shoulder, and all it takes is one gesture from a sitting position, bring your up arm around someone's shoulder, and you save your marriage. Yeah. Right? Yep. So, and I think Sutherland's really good, and it wells up tears, crying a whole bit, and he can tell he's sad, but he's got to do something that's right for him and his son. Yeah. Bye. Sometimes he got to. I guess so. Yeah. Who's the master distiller on ordinary people? Uh, it's Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. I think I got to go her too. I think it's, it's, you know, as grim and morose as this film is, as the one accolade that I think it should have won, man, it should have won actress. I mean, she's really good, and I love that she plays against type. It's a hateable character, but she makes the film move. I mean, she she's the conduit that just keeps it so awkward and so uncomfortable throughout, and I think maybe you don't want to be comfortable while watching this. I think it's maybe the point. Timothy Hutton's also really good in this thing as well. We'll talk about him coming up here in a mm-hmm. little bit. Uh, how are you going to rate and grade ordinary people? We have Rocket, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Where are you going this week, Matt? Is this... I think this is the least likable Top Shelf film I've ever watched. It's a really solid movie. Yeah, There's not a bad performance. The conflict is very present. Um, it's not contrived. It follows expectations, but delivered in a way that are not the way I saw them coming. Uh, it's shot in a way that sort of emulates how the movie feels. It's a really well-built, solid, excellent film that I never want to see again and was not at all enjoyable to watch. Yeah, I'm with I'm with you on that. Uh, single barrel minus. That's crazy, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's a it's a it's a well made film. It's well directed. Good to effort. I mean, for if this was what he wanted to make, I mean, he made a good movie, and I think he's had a pretty good filmography in terms of directing films. River runs through it. Mm-hmm. And all the pretty horses. I mean, he's 
made some stuff. The Malacro Beanfield War. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a deeper cut. Well made, well acted, well written. It's just, man, just like, yeah, I think I'm with you. If I never see this again, I think I'm okay, right? Yeah. This isn't happy viewing. It's just, it's grim drama, drama, drama. And I just don't sit down and watch that a whole lot. Occasionally, I'll get in the mood for like suburban strife and like this, Revolutionary Road, oh, yeah. American Beauty, like that. That'll like speak to me for some reason. But like, I don't seek that out often, right? No. But I mean, I got to appreciate like how it was made and the performances and like I said, yeah, like hour forty five, still talking about it. It was it was well worth the conversation. So I'm shocked. It'd be interesting to see. Has any other movie podcast ever covered ordinary, ordinary people? people? Probably not. We might be the first. <laughs> we might be. Uh, but to that, to your rating, to your rating. Let's wrap this up with our nightcap. that tissue away and give us the nightcap. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about Timothy Hutton yeah. and how at the age of 20 and what's pretty early moment in his career, how it's, I don't want to say it fizzled out because it didn't entirely. And someday upon the request from my wife and one movie that we absolutely have to do is beautiful girl someday. Mm. Um, drama, but I think different kind of drama. Do you like that film? I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh man, that's so good. We got to see it. And then the show, remember I was telling, we were talking, I was like the show, he was on leverage. Uh, there you go. Like five years on that's that, right. that show. Yeah. Dark. Hair. And I think he floated around that haunting of Hill house mm-hmm. uh, on Netflix. So, mm-hmm. but I know where you're going with this. Yeah. So the question is top three, one hit wonders, Oscar winners, Academy award winning style. So we're going to stick to actors, actresses, not directors or screenwriters or any of those things. We're just doing actors and actresses. And this is star that burns pretty bright and wins. And then you fail to live up to whatever hype you think that should have garnered. Yeah. Um, The Cuba Gooding Jr. effect, if you will. There you go. Which I hope that was one of your list, but. No, it wasn't. Could be. Honorable mention, for sure. For sure. Number three for me, I mean, everyone remembers this guy. He made such a show of it when he won two awards. Oh, God, I know where you're going. Foreign language. Yep. And I think yep. actor or director. Make love to the whole audience. Roberto Benigni. Yeah, 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 yep. Yeah. Which, his film Life is Beautiful is actually a really good movie. Probably as depressing as the one we covered today. Mm-hmm. But it fizzled into nothing from Hollywood. Yep. I think he made some Pinocchio movie in there, but nothing... Mm-hmm that would ever eclipse that moment for him. Right. Uh, I don't know what's better, his performance in that movie or his performance when he won the Academy. Oh man. He was just like, dude, he was just like walking on chairs. Clown. Like like (laughs) so over the top and clown show. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. Thought about that one too. Cool. Number three for me is Tatum O'Neill and paper noon, paper, paper noon, paper moon, Mm -hmm. uh, short of a lot of drugs and a wild, ugly marriage to John McEnroe. I'm um, not really sure. Yeah, that's a weird combo. <laughs> you know, you you have to read his autobiography. Okay. Because there's a couple chapters on the two of them. Yeah. Fuck, man. <laughs> Ryan O'Neill, too, man. Jesus. Uh, yeah. Talk about a warm cup of nothing. 
That's my number two. I'll let you go with and finish them. Uh, she was 10 when she won. So she's therefore the youngest person to ever win any type of competitive award at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched Paper Moon last year for the first time. Peter Bogdanovich, right? And Ryan O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Actually, a pretty good little movie. Yeah. Uh, it kind of gets into that uh, space that we like, which is like the the blind leading the blind, which is here's a guy that's like trying to like raise a daughter and he's in no space to be like raising because he's a terrible person. Yeah. And then she sucks too. Yeah. But what do they kind of bring out in each other? She's really good in it. And I, that father-daughter kind of thing on screen, like for real, mm-hmm. that's interesting to me. Uh, but yeah, Bad News Bears is what I got from Tatum O'Neill and literally nothing else after that, that I could tell you two pretty solid films. And then yeah, fizzles out. You're right. Drugs, a lot of, yeah, just, just the business getting the best of you. Right. She's still, is she still alive? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if she's gotten clean. Ryan O'Neill's still alive. Guy's like 90. (laughs) Farrah Fawcett isn't. Yeah. Number two for me, Mm -hmm. Louise Fletcher, Miss Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. A good one. Jesse, her follow-up to that was passing on Nashville to do Exorcist the Heretic. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, I guess if you make that bad a choice, and who the hell couldn't read into Altman versus the knockoff, knocked-off version of the Exorcist? Not even two. We're talking three. Yeah. Um, I guess you. No, that one's you, two. Is that two? That's two. But it's not good. It three, three's better. Yeah, is that which is the one with the nurse and the and the? That's sh- three. Yeah, that that's a great scene. Okay, yeah, two is terrible. Then three's three's okay. Yeah. What what do you? I mean, that's it. A lot of Nurse Ratchet was just so wicked. She she was floating around in some weird, obscure '80s B horror film I saw a few years ago, and I was like, Oscar winner Louise Fletcher's in this movie, mm. and I was just like, how? Yeah. In search of a gig. Do you like Cuckoo's Nest? Every seven years for one time through it's like, it's really good first time through. I don't think there's a whole lot of yeah. um, rewatchability. That's a pretty it. well acted film though. I mean, yeah. Nicholson, her DeVito, Christopher Lloyd, Brad Dourif, like it's got some, got some faces in it. So the, uh, and it's not even a problem with the film. I struggle with that kind of a story. Mm-hmm. Um, it just makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah. Some people have a hard time with, uh, you know, snakes or spiders or, you know, I just watching inside the walls of an asylum or just, it feels like horror even when it's not. We'll never watch the film Titty Cut Follies. That was like a film school thing they made me watch and it was so disgusting. Mm. Like how they have to like force people to eat when they refuse to eat. I don't want to watch that. Best left unsaid. (laughs) Okay, thank you. My number one, and maybe we can have a conversation about this because maybe it's slightly controversial, but I think it hasn't led to, amounted to a whole lot. My number one is Adrian Brody. Mm-hmm. The youngest, best actor performance. I think he was 27, 29 when he won for The Pianist. Mm-hmm. Pretty good movie. But then follows that up with a very questionable performance in The Village, first of all. And then King Kong, he's floating around that Predator sequel. And Hollywood Land. Oh, yeah. There you go. And then really not a whole lot else. So, like, mm-hmm. where's the Broad, man? If I'm not mistaken, that movie has another possible entry. Isn't Paquin in that too? The Pianist? I don't think so. And I think she's nominated in that film. Let me look it up. Oh, uh, yeah. What happened to Adrian Brody? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a time where I thought he and Jude Law were going to have a decade of duke it out who was going to be the better next Hugh Grant that didn't get in trouble with a bunch of sex follies. Mm-hmm. 
And both of those guys' careers have basically gone belly up, haven't they? Mm-hmm. I think Emma Peckman's Anna Peckman's on that, but she's also another young Oscar winner. They're not at nine, if, or eh, some maybe a, maybe eleven, like twelve. Yeah, what the hell would she, the what? piano? Oh, the piano. There it is. Not my number one. Can I tell you a funny story about the piano? Yeah, sure. Uh, that was another Jane Campion and Harvey Keitel, Holly mm-hmm. Hunter, Sam Neill. Well acted film but it's just like it's kind of that that type of film is just a snooze fest for me it's just like not for you for everyone period piece like it just don't do nothing for me but it's it's a good movie uh so i watch it in a film class and so i'm sitting in the back (laughs) and you know we're in like a room that has like a projector using your pencils to keep your eyelids up sure and you know it's late at night right seven nine eight o'clock even worse but uh through like the silhouette of the like down the screen of the projector i see this like spider like (laughs) Descending, yeah, it's cool. From like, uh, like a grate, like one of like the vents, yeah. And it's a big, it's like, it's like a monster this big, <laughs> and it like keeps going down and like hits the floor Ooh. and like goes somewhere to the left. And like, I was like, I don't know where it went, ah! but like, I like picked my feet up in my bag and I was like, this movie cannot end fast enough, <laughs> dude. That spider was bad news bears. That's awesome. Yeah, and so that's my memory of the piano. Uh, well, let's see if you entertaining turned it into a horror experience for you. Yeah, but that's my number one, Adrian Brody. Like, that's a guy that should have been like the next like Brad Pitt, right? And it just like it never became that. Good one. I think the village has a lot to do with that man. Like, he's just that like character he plays in there is just it's not right. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just like yeah, it's not right. And then King Kong like wasn't the hit it was supposed to be, and just like it was like bomb after bomb, right? So maybe there he'll you- find his way in CSI or something like that. Yeah. Adrian Brody. Who's your number one? Not only the most controversial one hit one or most one hit wonder I could come up with, but also I think the most controversial loss in Academy Award winning history. The loser in this is Mr. Michael Corleone portrayed brilliantly by Al Pacino in the Godfather part two. Mm -hmm. The winner inexplicably is fucking art Carney. And it's some whack-ass movie Harry called Tom- Harry and Tonto. <laughs> Art Carney beat Michael beat I Al Pacino th- as Michael Corleone? I think we talked about that in that episode. What? I think I cor- coronated uh, the coronation ceremony for Al Pacino, that being the best acting performance of all time. Of all time. And losing to that is just, it's just salt on the wound, right? Yeah. Uh, if we ever do this cask again, which would be controversial losses what who won and who should that's got to be the icing on the cake art carney that's a good one after the honeymooners had a career that was basically mental illness and tons of liquor and drugs um and then mount st helens that movie where he gets killed in the raft at the beginning of that mount st helens erupting i think i've seen that movie i think it's called mount st helens (laughs) i think you're right Because he played, doesn't he play Harry Truman? He plays that guy that like lived there on the thing. I know exactly what you're talking about. He's in it for about five minutes, probably because he was loaded. Yeah, dude. uh, Yeah, the hell with that. That winner, that winning against literally anything else, maybe I'd be okay with that particular film and performance. I do have a problem with. Do you want to watch Harry and Tonto someday? No, (laughs) we have to watch. I know we we do for research, but I don't because Godfather Part Two is so good. Yeah. Great choice. Yours too. Yeah. To that. To that. Uh, Excellent. Well, that's a capper on the best picture winner from 1980, Ordinary People. We're going to pick it up back next week with another film from 1980, 
the perceived winner in our eyes that we think should have taken home the gold. Tess. <laughs> <laughs> Coal miner's daughter. <laughs> hey, man, elephant people. It'd be a weird watch, but that could be fun. Yeah. We're going to do Raging Bull. Of course we are. Scorsese's Boxing Opus for a film that I've said for many a time. It was my favorite Scorsese film, but I kind of teetered between that and Goodfellas. Yeah. This is going to be fun, but I'll just tell you, just it's it's just as grim as the film we talked about today. It's nope. it's it's raw, it's black and white, it's the language is intense, it's domestic violence, it's boxing violence, mm-hmm. it's everything in a Scorsese De Niro package that's just Chef's Kiss, right? Yeah, no, <laughs> no light next week either, right? Yeah. Nation, going to yeah. be grim still. When's the last time you seen Raging Bull? Uh, about three years ago. Okay, yeah, yeah, this one. Karen, Karen Black at her best. Yeah. So this, this is going to be a lot of fun to talk about talk about this one. Can and I tease out one other thing too? Sure. This, ladies and gentlemen, is also a warm-up for something that's coming in the not-too-distant future. Now, if you get out your little calendars and take a look, you can probably deduce from the type of genre what we might be venturing into, but it's coming. That's all I'm going to say. Excellent. Well, to that. To that. Uh. Hit us up on any of the social media platforms, uh, any of the podcasting sites, leave a rating and review if you like the show. Uh, I got to get going. I got to go. Uh, I got to go do something happy after watching this dour shit. <laughs> what if we went to McDonald's, Matt? Let's go. Um, I'll, I'll buy you a Big Mac and um, we'll just make a date of it. I have a better idea. Okay. Why don't I call my buddy Art Carney and see if he's buying drinks at Muggsy's Brass Yeah, Rail. yeah. We have some conversations for Mr. Carney. Indeed. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Ordinary People is property of Paramount Pictures and Wildwood Enterprises Incorporated. And no copyright infringement is intended until next time cheers you know i used to figure you had a handle for everything you knew it all i know that wasn't fair but you always made us feel like everything was going to be all right i thought about that a lot lately i really admire you for it i don't admire people too much they'll disappoint you sometimes i'm not disappointed I love you. I love you too.